It's a good thing we're not trying to play a championship game today. Almost anywhere in these United States, huh? No, almost anywhere is correct. It's a little, little cool out down here in Southern California, but you could get a football game in, no question. What is cool in Southern California for January 15th look like? We are currently 51 and mostly cloudy. High today looks like 64. Long sleeves probably appropriate. Maybe not for some people. Uh, Buffalo fans that I've seen on the internet, they probably don't need long sleeves or shirts. Wartburg fans. <laughs> Wartburg fans, indeed. Your 51 degrees are 53 more degrees than we have here in Minneapolis today. Let me just tell you that. You also have roofs over a lot of your stadiums, which is smart. That is true. But the concept of playing the Stag Bowl in a 70,000-seat stadium, domed or not, just really doesn't seem like the place you want to play your championship game. Put it in a 80,000-seat dome. Pat, it's easy. Problem solved. Problem solved. Those those venues aren't ever taken up by anything else, right? No, never taken up by concerts, monster truck jams, whatever else. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. Welcome to Season 18 of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. We're embarking on Season 51 of Division Three Football where we're already the largest division of college football and getting larger. Yeah, we're here in the offseason because we still do live and breathe this stuff, and there's just too much going on to sit out this January. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at D3Football.com. And, Pat, it's been right about a month since uh, since we last talked. Division Three football right after the Stag Bowl. And holy moly, there's been a lot going on. Definitely no shortage of things to talk about in this first off-season podcast. No, I can already tell you this podcast will be a long one, but we've got uh, three great interviews I think people will be very interested in as we've turned over the calendar to a new year and a new season and our theme. Each week on our program, of course, we choose a theme, bring you different kinds of stories on that theme. For this show is What's Next. When I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So, what's next? With that in mind, we'll chat with the coaches of the two Stag Bowl teams, Kurt Fitzpatrick of the champion Cortland Red Dragons, Ed Brad Spencer of the North Central Cardinals, two teams who come into this offseason due in no small part to one particular play call with 80 seconds remaining. They come in with uh, a couple of slightly different perspectives. We will get their takes on that, the aftermath, and then where those programs go from here. And we'll also talk with an entire football program that is saying we got next, and that's the brand new football program at Roanoke College. Greg, you and I got a chance to chat with this new program's new head coach, Brian Steinspring, and defensive coordinator Mike Giancola, and we'll learn about the process of putting a program together that will put people on the field in some way, shape, or form this upcoming fall, and then play games that count in some manner in 2025. But Greg, so that's just the interviews, right? Here in January, talk about the 40-team playoff ramped back up over the course of the past few weeks. The NCAA folks and the Division Three Championships Committee went on a little speaking tour shortly before and during the NCAA convention, driving some talk that the expansion to the playoffs that we've talked about on this podcast, and you know, frankly, we spent a good deal of 
podcast 327 on that could be coming sooner rather than later as we said on social media fingers crossed so you're telling me there's a chance yes indeed pat it's been a busy month since we last broke out the headsets and microphones at mac and bob's are you guys doing a show we've had time to you know really digest and put some context around Cortland's national championship our readers can still easily find wrap-up pieces that Keith McMillan and myself wrote for d3football.com after the rubber pellets settled in December. The momentum for tournament expansion, like you said, has really taken off, especially in the last, what, seven to 10 days. There's some really great reporting by yourself and Dave McHugh on the website about that and uh, including a, a mock bracket of what the 2023 tournament might have looked like with 40 teams involved. Pat, the coaching carousel is spinning with some very big names on the move. And we've got some additional postseason expansion news in the Great Lakes area. Pat, the games, they're on hiatus, but the news has really been relentless. It does seem like it's, if nothing else, the busiest first two weeks of January we've had in quite some time. So, like, the work behind the scenes on playoff expansion has been going on for more than a year. But some of the conversations have come a little closer to the front of the scenes these days. And that's why we're talking a little more publicly about it now. Right? Is it a guarantee that it happens in 2024? No. We've said this quite clearly all along. Fingers crossed is the best way to put it. And then the Great Lakes Bowls that you mentioned, they're another way to expand at least some form of postseason access. And I was definitely happy to see this news since it is something that we have been calling for publicly on this show for a long time. These types of events are generally organized by conferences or a local sports commission, perhaps in conjunction with a sponsor. And this announcement means that more than half of Division Three conferences will have a postseason bowl opportunity for their members in 2024. It is the postseason bowl momentum continues. We've expanded from ECAC. We know we have the the bowl games in Wisconsin, uh, the uh, the Isthmus Bowl and the Lakefront Bowl, and they're now being joined by this bowl series that's been announced by the OAC, the President's Athletics Conference, the NCAC, and the HCAC will be taking part in a two-game bowl series to be played at Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton. You mentioned the coaching carousel. Let's talk about the number of Division Three football playoff teams that will be looking or have looked and gotten new head coaches over the course of the past six weeks or so. Duke Greco was the head coach at Delaware Valley. He was the latest to announce his move as he was hired at Division Two Westchester. Uh, staying in the Philadelphia area. Of course, Bethel Steve Johnson retired. We knew that was happening coming into the season, basically. Uh, Bell Havens, Blaine McCorkle moved on to a Division I FCS job where he's going to have a lot of work to do. Union's John Poppy went back to the Ivy League and will be an assistant at Columbia. And Johns Hopkins' Greg Chimera went to the Ivy League as well, where he'll be an assistant at Penn. You know, Bell Haven and Bethel have already hired new people. Union has already hired a new head coach I don't have a list of number of playoff coaches who have left their jobs by January 15th of the following year. I don't have those records anywhere, but this seems like a lot. That's five out of 32. Yeah, a lot of playoff coaches moving on to other opportunities. Most of those, I believe Steve Johnson retired, but I believe most of the others moved to different divisions, either into Division One or Division Two. in the case of Duke Greco. You know, I think you're seeing 
maybe a little bit of uh, the higher division FBS, FCS, taking note of really successful coaches in the division three level and offering job opportunities to them. Certainly we're seeing that uh, in recent news this week around Alabama and Washington. Certainly Lance Leipold has had success and other divisions who, you know, good coaches are good coaches, no matter the level it seems. And programs are taking notice. One other move just to note is that Matt Popino, who is the defensive coordinator at Endicott, is the new head coach at Carthage as well. So that's not a head coach of a playoff team moving on, but that's a key piece of that Gulls program. Also in the news, maybe this is just John Carroll floating a trial balloon, but talking about moving to the North Coast Athletic Conference out of the OAC. We are headed north. We had been hearing talk about the NCAC and schools that might want to join over the course of the past several weeks. John Carroll was not one of the ones that was on the list. If this happens, and this is probably more if than the playoff expansion, but if this happens, that is a pretty big shakeup in Region 4, in the strength of the OAC, and in the strength of the North Coast Athletic Conference. Yeah, kind of a seismic move. When John Carroll's name came up, we were both, a little bit surprised that that was the name, but that it's out there. It's been multiple sourced. A lot of people are are saying that this is what they're hearing. So uh, a lot of people that we trust are saying this. So uh, maybe it happens. Maybe it, it doesn't. Announcements of these kinds kind of happen throughout the spring usually. So we'll be keeping an eye from institutions and conferences to see uh, if this goes through and becomes official. Yeah, this is basically the time, uh, often in conjunction with the NCAA convention, that is an opportunity for conferences to get together and you know, put a formal yay or nay vote on some of these things. Right, there are other teams being talked about moving into the NCAC. That is still something that could happen if John Carroll happens. There are other teams are talking about moving out of the OAC. There are teams that have been talked about uh, moving in and out of the President's Athletic Conference. You know, the OAC, frankly, Greg, pretty stable, right? Hiram moved out of the OAC in 1999. Wilmington moved in, and that's it. That's a pretty stable conference in this day and age. That's almost a quarter century of no changes in that league. Yeah, and it's a, a league with a, a really long history, a really stable history, like you said. It's, you know, been a really consistent membership. In that conference, I think there was some movement in the 80s when some teams left to uh, join to or form. start the North Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But since, yeah, right, since the Hiram move, Hiram and Wabash went into the North Coast the same year. The OAC has been quite stable. I think what's surprising is that there's no obvious reason for John Carroll to move. From the OAC, you know, when we've seen other teams move conferences, like say when DePaul left the Southern, the, the SCAC to go into the North Coast, there was obvious reasons why that made sense. You know, it doesn't make yeah. sense necessarily for DePaul to play all of their road games in Texas, Texas and, and Kentucky yeah. and Alabama. Right. The same for Rose Holman, you know, when they came back out of the SCAC to go to the the Heartland Conference. So there, there are usually obvious uh, reasons why teams do these moves. Maybe they feel the institutional fits are better for what they're doing currently. I don't know. 
Um, maybe it's not playing Mount Union in football. I don't know. Why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Why do you persist? Because I choose to. I mean, it could purely be just that, right? We often tell people that conference moves at the Division Three level are not about, are not solely about football. Honestly, though, this might be one of those cases, and it's one of those things we'll have to uh, keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, and it's an interesting move against the backdrop of a possible playoff expansion where you can easily see where the OAC starts to go back to being a, a conference that has two teams on the regular. Going forward, if we do get 40 teams, a second OAC team would seem to be often a lock to be in that playoff. And we projected John Carroll into a 40-team field. Uh, I think the last team in is what you is That what is you the last team with. in. If the NESCAC takes that automatic bid, then that 12th at-large team does not get in. John Carroll in the North Coast, I believe. We did a little bit on the socials with, with this bantering back and forth. John Carroll probably an immediate favorite in the league, although you know yeah. some of their best results have been close losses to Whitewater or Mount Union. They don't have a lot of big wins that make it obvious that they are better than DePaul or Denison or Wabash, whoever might be winning the North Coast at any particular time. It raises the level at the top of the North Coast, and we'll see if other teams can rise to meet John Carroll or if John Carroll drifts back to sort of where the top of the North Coast has been. We'd certainly love to see the opportunity for Mountain Union to schedule another non-conference game. So that two-year cycle with Defiance has ended. Defiance is moving to the NAIA, by the way. And the next non-conference opponent for Mountain Union is Ferrum. One other note before we get to our interviews is I just want to update people on the status of D3Boards.com. It's been somewhat a running joke at the end of the show uh, to talk about the uptime or the lack of it or the amount of uptime for our forum, our message board, our forum, which started in 1998 over on the D3Hoops.com website and is currently running on a code base that, you know, we installed in 2005. And while you keep up with updates and that sort of thing, sometimes a 19-year-old piece of software has some issues and it needs to get uh, taken down and worked on. So it has been down for, as of this uh, recording, not quite four weeks I'm obviously not super pleased about that. I have someone working on it. I wish that person were working on it faster. Just know that it is not yet dead. Uh, we are still doing our best to keep it online. We had a spot in December where when it did crash, we had to restore from a backup and we lost a whole day's worth of data. That is not something we want to continue. And it's not something that our web hosting company is going to uh, continue to oblige us with shall we say our goal with having it down for this amount of time is to have someone who you know knows the code base that it's written on understands the software kind of go through everything and if we come back with maybe not all 1.6 million posts something like that if we don't have all of those when we come back maybe that's the way it'll have to be if we can't keep the message board running so that people who are not logged in can read it. Maybe you have to log in to read it. That will maybe take care of some of our traffic issues. That's a possibility as well. Just know that we're fully aware that you can't log in. There's a statement about it on the boards themselves. Don't have much more to say at this time, but just know that we're working on it. 
and we're appreciative of everyone's patience. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. 1.6 million posts. It's my stat of the week. And at this point in the podcast, we just want to take a moment to thank people who make some of these things possible, including, frankly, hiring someone to work on D3Boards.com. And that is our supporters on the Patreon platform. So Patreon is a website. It's a service that content producers like us, for example, can use to then go out and solicit kind of small memberships, basically, people who donate to the website on a recurring basis as if you were donating to another podcast or donating to public media or something like that in the amount of, you know, $3, $5, $10, $20, $50 a month. There are people who do this, a good number of them, and their donations allow us to have a regular, reliable revenue stream all year round. Not just in September, October, November, December, but all 12 months of the year, which allows us to you know, do some things that we weren't able to do in the past. And that is because of people coming to Patreon and supporting D3Sports.com. Yeah, thanks to our subscribers at Patreon, we were able to bring you great coverage throughout uh, the regular season and the postseason. Certainly our presence in Salem during the championship week is is aided by the help we get from our Patreon subscribers. But that money, Pat, helps support all of the D3Sports.com family websites right now. It's hoop season. As we know, you're getting into the, over the next five weeks. Uh ramping up into conference tournaments and then into NCAA tournament play. Ryan Scott, Gordon Mann, Dave McHugh doing all the good work at D3Hoops.com. That is in full swing, and those guys are working seven days a week to keep uh, that site updated with scores and features. Yeah, so thank you for supporting us on this platform. If you are interested in learning a little bit more about that, go to patreon.com slash D3Sports. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash d3 sports or if you are more in the line of considering a one-time donation you can do that by going to d3sports.com slash help now into d3football.com around the nation podcast we are joined by the coach of the defending national champ that is kurt fitzpatrick the head coach of the suny Cortland red dragons coach i'm sure you have heard yourself or the team be introduced as the defending champ multiple times now over the course of the past several weeks how does that feel it doesn't really get old i will say i'll, I'll say that pat thank you yeah it's 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 cool it's been been kind of addressed that way multiple times it ne- never gets old but you know we'll be turning the page here soon once our semester starts and you know getting getting into 2024 and, and getting this this new team rolling but it's uh it's definitely it's still i still have to pinch myself every every now and then What's the most interesting thing that's happened to you guys or the program, like in terms of recognition or anything like that in the course of winning the national title? I just think it's all the people you run into that are random people that we've never met before that, you know, see us wearing a Cortland polo or a Cortland and say, Hey, uh, congratulations. I was watching the game. We were in a bar with a bunch of people and so-and-so Kentucky. And uh, we watched the game. Our staff was on the, on uh, some of our coaches drove down to, the AFCA convention in Nashville and uh, in the state of Kentucky at some 
convenience huh. store, you know, whatever. And it was like, Hey, congratulations. We watched the game here, there. It's just, it's, it was, um, it's just really cool to, to, to talk to people who, who watch the game and just recognize us now that, that we are national champs. Um, it's cool. I mean, obviously the, on campus and in our local community, it's been great and awesome for our players and our university, but just, just kind of the, you know, the, the reach that ESPN has and, and the viewership and, you know, people who've seen the game and now, now on, on YouTube or whatever, it's really neat. We talk with coaches all the time for whom this is a bit of an adjustment. Now that we haven't really had a new program win it in a while, but you know, you, you get to the point where now you guys are kind of behind on recruiting, right? There's been a whole lot of time that you guys normally, you know, if you hadn't made the playoffs, that have been five weekends, you'd have been out at games. Uh, if you had made the playoffs and only gotten to the second round or the quarterfinals, you know, there's still a couple of extra weekends that you guys missed out on. So how are you trying to, you know, catch up on those sorts of things? Yeah, we, we definitely, we missed the entire recruiting travel season that we normally have, which is basically the three weeks in December. Mm -hmm. um, we did, a, I feel like our staff did a good job last spring of kind of starting the recruiting process. That's when our cycle starts is in spring recruiting. And we try to hit the road in our respective areas and blanket all the schools and, and try to build lists and, and our recruiting boards in the springtime and narrowing down over the summer. We did have a lot of recruits visit, uh, during our season for home games, uh, home game visits. So, uh -huh. you know, we, we did do a lot of the work in the front end, not knowing that it was going to play out like this, but I'm glad we did looking back on it now. Um, you know, we, you definitely have to play catch up a little bit because we didn't get the chance to go see, see the prospects in person or see their coaches in person. Yeah. You know, so phone calls, emails, um, and then we'll have our official visit dates here as the semester starts in a couple of weeks. And we've had great, great interest, as you can imagine. And, um, you know, you, you lose, you lose some time on the road, but you just won a national championship. So there's some benefits to that too, obviously. In recruiting. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, I think it's all going to come out in the wash. Yeah. Like I hear, we hear from the basketball people that, you know, the national championship occurs way too late in the recruiting cycle. And it's not till like the next full year that you get to see that benefit, but you guys still get to see some of it right now. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the, 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 the second signing day, division one signing days in early February. Yeah. So I, you know, I think recruiting definitely in division three has gone earlier and earlier uh, just as division one has, I think that's division one recruiting being, being earlier, kids making decisions earlier has driven division three earlier and earlier than it was maybe five or 10 years ago. But I still think the, the meat of it is still out, out, out ahead of us. Transfer portal too, obviously I would have to assume that people who are looking at D three schools uh, for their future home or, you know, New York kids or whatever are going to give uh, Cortland a lot more attention than they would have in the past. I think so. I hope so. Uh, I mean, we, we definitely have heard, heard from, heard from some, some recruits, but you know, it's, the portal, I think every school has, there's so many, uh, so many uh, prospects in the portal nowadays. It's um, that's the, the nature of the nature of the beast. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been good. I mean, I think with, with transfer recruiting, it's uh, any coach would tell you, it's about getting the right guys. Uh, yeah. We don't necessarily want a team full of transfers. We, we want a, the majority of our team guys who, who, who love Cortland and who we were their first choice and they, they would give anything to play here and, We'll put in the kind of work it takes, and then you know, hopefully we can supplement that with just like we got Jack Whiney and Jaden Martinez, two of our linebackers, and uh, who were who were transfers in here last year. You know, pieces that can help us become a better team. But you know, the majority of our team is going to be guys that we recruit out of high school who we can develop 
um, and, you know, have, have for four or five years. That, that's, that, that's what I want to be the backbone of our team. I want to swing back now, back a few weeks, and actually talk about the Stag Bowl a little bit. Because, you know, post-game is a whirlwind. Uh, you and I didn't even get to talk after the game. Just tell us a little bit about the, the difference between, first off, first half and second half, right? First half, uh, you know, you guys come up with a couple of key stops. You do the bending, but not the breaking. And then the second half is a completely different back and forth, super entertaining type of football game. Yeah, I, I felt like in the first half, there wasn't a lot of scoring, but both offenses were moving the ball really well yeah. on long drives. You know, mm -hmm. uh, they had a very long drive at the beginning and stalled out in the red zone. Uh, we moved the ball on our first drive and, and, and you know, dropped a pass. Couldn't couldn't really get it going, but but you could see that we were going to be able to, to move the ball and they did it again. And then we were all, we were, you know, fourth and two from the five yard line, I think uh, when it was still a zero, zero game, that was in the early second quarter. So that, that was only our second drive of the game. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and then our third drive of the first half was the two minute drive at the very end to that we, that we got the field goal. So both teams were moving the ball. We just couldn't find a way to really score a bunch. And so I think at halftime, I thought both, both offenses found what we really wanted, wanted to do and where we could really attack. And then, um, both teams made a bunch of plays in the second half. So people talk about halftime adjustments, right? But when you go into the locker room and, you know, have a conversation with your assistant coaches and then with your players, how much of that is really an adjustment and how much of it is just, you know, maybe in this case, things like you said, the things that you wanted to do, you were finally able to do. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's as much, sometimes it is adjusting. Like, you know, you're trying to do something that changed something that you were going to do. I think for us in that game, especially and in most games, it's, it's about kind of like regrouping and reorganizing with your staff and players from the call sheet. How can we attack the best? Like here are different things in our game plan. We want to focus on this area or that area. Um, how do we sequence some plays together when we get into the red zone? You know, what can we get in the red zone? What looks did we get? Is it something we we didn't expect or whatever? They play in man, they play in zone, you know, defend and, and, and trying to figure out where, where we can attack. That was really it, you know getting into the red zone and then talking to our players, talking to our receivers and our quarterback and our staff and figuring out, okay, when we get down there, what do we want to run? And then when we got down there in the start of the third quarter, you know, we knew how we wanted to attack and, and um, were able to get a big, a big completion to Burgess to, that was over. Luckily replay was there to, uh, right. to overturn that. And uh, yep. you know, it's cool playing with replay. I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That worked out for you guys. All right. Yes, it did. Is that something that's more difficult to do? I'm talking about back to the adjustment thing for a second. You guys only took 28 offensive snaps in the first half, so you don't have a whole lot of stuff to even draw on, right? No, you don't. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember back to our exact conversations, but kind of the theme for us at half was I felt like we were having success and that we just didn't score on the, on the on the one drive and we had, had a couple of miscues. So it wasn't about changing our plan. It was about kind of reaffirming Here's what we thought we we could do in our game plan to have success, and I think we can still do those things, some of those things. But then when we get into the red zone, you know that was where you know talking to our receivers. And I I love to have let our players have input. Okay. Um, not that they're drawing up stuff in the dirt, but you know <laughs> Cole Burgess, I'll give him credit was you know the one to say I think we can run up. We ran a post corner route for 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 the first for the touchdown. Then when we get down there to the right. field to the wide side. I think we can get a post corner and. And so I, you know, if we you build trust throughout the year, um, and throughout spring ball, throughout the whole process, you're building trust from coach to player, player to coach, and then 
you know, I, I trusted him on that. And, and uh, that was my first call when we got down there. And that's a guy who's been in your program a long time, obviously. Yeah. And, and you know, he, we try to build smart, smart football players that know what they're seeing. And, and, you know, so that when they see something that they know they can, that they know they can take advantage of that we have the ability to do that. And I think players love, love that too. Like Cole, you know, Cole, <laughs> he, he always wants the ball, but um but yeah, I, I I trust him. If he if he says he can he can get a post corner, then that's what that's what we're gonna do. I thought boys obviously was incredible in the second half. That might be the biggest understatement of this entire podcast. Uh, but there was a moment early on in the second half where you guys are facing a third and medium, right? And he runs and he comes up a little shaky. You guys don't convert the first down, and then you know you're off the field for a little bit. North Central comes down and scores, and then he goes back out there. What were you guys uh, feeling at that point? What were you seeing from Zach? How did uh, things look on the sidelines for him? Oh, I, I knew he was going to be fine. He, he had sprained his ankle against Grove City. And right. had been we, yes. we had been nursing that thing back. Like when we played Alma, uh, I don't know if anyone really knew how bad his ankle was that mm-hmm. game. He was he was in. Um, you notice in that game he did not scramble scramble against Alma because he okay. couldn't he he couldn't really couldn't really do it. Um, so he kind of tweaked the same the same ankle, but once he got over the sideline, I could tell when he when he was kind of jogging off the field that he was going to be going to be right back out there. It was a big point in the game, and, and they came back down and scored, which we expected. I mean, they're an outstanding offense, and Luke Luke Lennon is an incredible quarterback. So, um, but that, I was proud with how we responded, and then we connected. I think the next drive was the long touchdown pass to JJ Lap down yep. the sideline. That's right. Um, so yeah, I mean we. Our offensive guys, I'm proud of how they responded to the adversity. Um, we knew once we took the lead in the third quarter, Burgess, Lap, boys, they on the sideline, you know, they were saying to each other, and I kind of overheard the conversation that if we could score every time we had the ball from then on out, we were gonna have a we were gonna have a great chance to win, and that that was their mindset. So, you know, we when we talk about adversity as a team, we talk about expect adversity, and and so you know we're. It's like you're playing match play in golf. You expect the other guy to make the putt, and then you're going to have to make it on top of him. That was kind of the mindset of our offense in that second half. I mean, you guys basically did exactly that, right? I, other than running out the clock at the end, I think you guys did score on every offense. Yeah, there, there was the there. one exchange. There was the one exchange in the third quarter yeah. where we went ahead ten seven, and then right, and then right. But after that, we forced them to punt, and then we punted. It was back to back punts, and then from there, it was just, you know every every possession was a score for both teams. Defensively. You know, I'd like to say you guys contained Lannon. I don't, maybe that's not quite true. It's kind of hard. It's kind of a mixed bag, yeah. right? I mean, he breaks he, open a 64-yard <laughs> touchdown run. Yeah, uh, when he's running a 75-yard touchdown run on the quarterback draw, I wouldn't necessarily say that we contained him. Yeah. But we, I thought our kids played extremely hard on defense, especially in the first half. You know, when, when our offense was was kind of feeling things out, our defense came up with – they were they were given we were giving up yards but we did make some stops and, and you know I I think you know we got fortunate on some some overthrown balls um, but uh, they're hard to contain like an offense like North Central I mean you have the, the quarterback that can run and throw you've got running backs their offensive line I've never seen a better offensive line at Division three level than than that um, that's my own personal experience but. And then, and then receivers like D'Angelo Hardy, you know, yeah, it's, uh, right. it's, 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 it's hard to contain everybody for, 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 for the whole game. Um, but I thought our guys did a good job and, you know, we, we contained him in the first half, sacked him a couple times, yep. um, kind of tried to make him feel as uncomfortable as we, as we could. Um, and then got the key stop, of course, at the end. Yeah. I got the key stop. You know, we had a, uh, 
sack in the red, played good red zone defense and really made them, made them try to earn it. And, uh, you know, pr- proud, proud of the way our defense played. And then that last, the two point conversion, obviously, right. You know, one stop to win. I don't want to finish this part of the conversation without just mentioning, cause we haven't mentioned Joe Idvo, but that guy had a fantastic uh, game, especially in the second half as well. Yeah. He's a big player. Yeah. Um, Big time player. He, I don't know how many touchdowns he had during the five weeks of the playoffs, mm-hmm. but you know, just he's a clutch. He's a clutch player. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the biggest guy, but he has a feel for the moment. And I thought when he when he really became a starter in our offense, I don't know what week that was. Maybe week week seven or eight when we lost C.J. Messina and Rashad Tucker to season-ending injuries. Joe stepped in and was just a steady force. And he was the he's the kind of the glue that held things together. But he's a very selfless player. You know, when you have Lap and Burgess. They got a lot of throws and a lot sure. of targets for good reason, for good reason. He, he and Joe, he doesn't really care about the ball. He just, he's just playing, doing his one eleventh every play. And when the ball comes to him, he, he make he does, does his best. And uh, when it doesn't come to him, then he just reloads and goes and plays the next play. So yeah, great, great, great team player. And, you know, obviously made some big plays in the second half of the stag bowl. What's next for you guys? What's next is that, you know, right now we, we flip the page and we have the same record as everybody else in the country. You know, Kirby Smart has a has a great quote about entitlement. And then if, if you if you don't have entitlement in your program, then you've got a shot. And he said that after mm-hmm. coming off back to back national championships at Georgia. So our, our, our 2024 team uh, is not a national championship team. We're we're just like everybody else. And I think we, we've got to be willing to dig it out of the dirt and and start back over and be proud of what we accomplished, but also understand that. You know, that doesn't mean anything going forward. We've got to do it again. We have a lot of guys back. I think the biggest thing, having a lot of guys back from last year's team, is not necessarily, you know, the fact that they're going to have a national championship ring. It's the fact that they gained all that experience. Playing a 15-game season, this is my first time. I, t- I know I talked to Coach Spencer a lot about kind of how they na- how they, they've been to four straight stag bowls. That, that's a lot on a program. Like, their seniors have graduated with, playing another season and a half yeah. of, of, of football. So I think just just having that kind of experience back and going through that run, you learn a lot about yourself, you know, especially the way we went through the playoffs. There was – it was never really smooth sailing. We were up and down and fighting for our lives every week. So I, I just think the grit and the determination, I think that's what we have to take. We have to leave the entitled part behind and take the, the grit and determination and all the stuff that we learned from our playoff run and try to apply that to this year. So it sounds like it's been quite a month for Cortland. I've seen them recognized at a Buffalo Bills game shortly after the Stag Bowl win. Cortland coaches, they're getting dapped up at conventions. I'm happy to hear people were watching that game because it was an incredible football game. Pat, you touched on some good points. Cortland, they've lost five weeks of traditional recruiting, but they've also been able to recruit by keeping their team on the field and in the news and ultimately on ESPN in the semifinals and the finals. That's a great way to advertise your team. We've talked about this a lot over the years, Pat, but playing deep into the playoffs tends to fuel future success. Current players, not just the active 53, but all current players, they get to keep practicing. And those future players that are on the team, yet they're drawn naturally to successful teams. We see that success fuel itself at places like Mount Union and Whitewater and UMHB and Linfield and all the places that tend to have many, many playoff games each and every year. Uh, you know, Cortland, they've got a lot coming back next year already. I suspect Coach Fitzpatrick and his staff are going to be able to leverage the walnut and bronze into a really talented incoming class. 
I know we talked a little bit with Coach Fitzpatrick about just the scope of the amazing accomplishment that this team put together, right? Um, I think I mentioned in passing what uh, Logan Hansen posted on X, on the thing formerly known as Twitter, but just to kind of reiterate it here for everybody. So, you know, his ratings start in 1997. Since that time, every first time Division Three football national champion met all of these criteria. They were a team that started the preseason poll in the top five, finished the previous season in the top 10, uh, had a uh, adjusted efficiency rating in the top six in his rankings, finished in the top four in, I don't actually know what ELO stands for. In one of the preceding five seasons, Cortland, you know, they were number 17 in our preseason poll. They were number 18 at the end of the previous season, they were number 30 in his uh, preseason adjusted efficiency. It's just, it's not quite from out of nowhere, right? I mean, it feels like Cortland was maybe a play away from getting to the second round last year, for example. Uh, and of course, they were a play away from not getting to the national quarterfinals this time around or not even getting to the second round. It is still, you know, these are the sorts of things, Greg, that happen over on the basketball side. They just don't happen in Division Three football. Well, that's part of why the Cortland story from last December was was so intriguing and and was as sort of enthralling as it was is that we have become we've become accustomed to a level of predeterminism when it comes to who's playing for national championships and who's winning national championships that when a team who's not on that short list makes it and wins you know, it's something that it, it gets your attention in a way that is kind of refreshing. And, uh, you know, not that we're rooting against anybody, but seeing Cortland come in and win a national championship. And when you look at Cortland's results through the year, Susquehanna beat Cortland. Susquehanna is out there saying, why well, it could have been us. Yeah. Endicott, one play away. They're saying it could have been us. Grove City, one play away. They're saying it could have been us. And I think that you've got more teams now that can legitimately look at the national championship as an attainable goal, not just a thing you put on the board that's you know not super attainable because you're not one of the three or four teams that have always won it. But now you've got a whole bunch of teams that are saying, if Cortland can win, and Cortland's very good, but we played with Cortland, we can win also. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to expect. In a lot of cases, for a lot of programs, it's a function of having those guys around for an extra year. That's not really the case with Cortland. A bunch of these guys are, uh, you know, juniors and even sophomores. You know, there's not a whole bunch of five-year guys on there, not a whole bunch of 24-year-olds on that uh, Cortland roster. But I think that's part of it. And I think that, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this continues after the run of COVID-related extra years of eligibility runs out. We have one more year where this is still part of the natural course of everything, and the, the people who would be five-year seniors this upcoming fall are people who would have lost their freshman year in 2020. It'd be interesting to see how much that actually is a gain for somebody, right? But, uh, you know, still one last opportunity where there are 24-year-olds or maybe guys who have finished their undergraduate degree at one institution coming to another institution to work on a master's and also play another year of football. 
Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Brad Spencer, the head coach at North Central. Coach, I'm going to skip the rest of the introduction and just ask how you're doing. Are you doing all right? Yeah, I'm great. Kids got back on campus uh, on Monday and had a team meeting last night to kind of lay out the plan for until spring break, you know, and get the guys fired up and, and ready to go. So, um, you know, it's a position we've been in before, uh, you know, losing the last one after 2021 is, you know, actually I got promoted to head coach a month after that. So, um, you know, I feel like we've got a great opportunity to test our valor and, and what we're about and, you know, see what our response and effort and attitude is going to be three things you get to control. <laughs> Yeah, the reason I ask uh, primarily is because, you know, you had never had taken a loss as a Division three head coach before. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you got a routine or whatever, and you yeah, that's something you have not had to process yet. Yeah, you're right. It was funny. I had a, a family ask me that, you know, the other day, you know, how do we process? How do we, you know, move past losses? What do you learn from it? And you know, I kind of joked, I was like, well, this is the first one for me as a, a head coach. So I'm still, right. I think in process. Um, but, you know, obviously coaching for 20 years, I've, you know, and playing sports all your life, you're, you're going to compete, you're going to lose. Um, that's part of athletics. It's, you know, part of being the man in the arena, I suppose. Um, I think the best thing that, that you can do is you, you take a little bit of space. You don't want to right away, make any sort of judgments or decisions about, you know, kind of what your process is going to be in the off season. So, uh, you know, for us, it's enjoy Christmas with, you know, the family and, uh, you know, and for me, I see my wife and my two little boys, you pretty quickly smile and, you know, realize God's got some good plans for you and, you know, life's going to go on. The sun came up the next day. Um, and, and then when you, you know, get your staff back together, you're able to, you know, get to work and watch the film and start to identify some places where we need to address and be better going forward. Um, and, you know, you certainly analyze the, that last game and uh, there's a lot to, a lot to digest there. Um, you know, obviously with how close the game was. Um, right. But, you know, that's, I think that's the process. Um it's got to be uh, an honest evaluation of yourself as a head coach, your coaching staff, and and then your players. And you start to put the pieces together of where you can, um, you know, make that ground back up and, you know, get back on track, so to speak. I was going to ask you the question whether you guys even do watch the film, obviously, since you're not preparing for a game in the immediate mm-hmm. future. But it sounds like at least you took a little bit of space from it and you didn't have to deal with it while it might have still been fresh. Sure. I think every player and coach process that type of loss differently. You know, some people want to watch it immediately. Some people need to give it a little bit of space. I'm certainly not one that watched it that night, uh, you know, or the next day. For me, those first couple of days are really a little bit more about connecting with your team and your coaches and your seniors and, you know, being thankful for them and uh, being thankful for what they've done, uh, you know, personally for me and in my life, uh, in my coaching life. And, 
you know, once, once you kind of get past that initial stage, I think then you're able to watch the game a little bit more critically without emotion Mm -hmm. and identify, you know, places that either the next time you're going to make different choices or places where, you know, we just flat out need to be better as, as a team, as an organization, coaches and players included. Uh, you talk about decisions and, uh, you know, obviously the, the big decision is one that I think people still will talk about. And then I watched that NFL game between the Lions and the Cowboys. And all I was thinking of was, you know, Brad, how many times would you have gone for two before <laughs> uh, conceding and kicking an extra point in that situation? Sure. I, I mean, there was a lot of factors that went into that. And of course, during that drive, you're, you're kind of going through all those factors in your own sure. mind and, right. and with the guys on the headsets. And it's funny, like we don't get to watch NFL or, or really any major college football throughout the year. Right. Cause those are work days for us, but you watch like the semifinal games and the championship games and all these guys are going into overtime and it's like, that looks like a lot of fun. Like <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should have done that. Um, but I think in you know in the moment and thinking back at it, I'm at peace with the decision to go for two, um, and, and there was a number of reasons for it, which we you know don't necessarily have to get into. Sure. But yeah. um, there was a number of reasons for it. I you know number one, I had confidence in you know our offense to get three yards, and you know I thought. Kurt did a good thing calling time out there. So then yeah. it kind of takes, takes away the number one play that you want to do in that we thought we saw some things that we could take advantage of leverage wise. Um, and then they bumped a, a little bit differently and, you know, maybe that would have been a great time to honestly call time out and, and get to another play. You know, of course it's easy to armchair quarterback that one and, sure. and to look at it and go, gosh, you know, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. Um, I think I said it in the post game interview that there's you know probably some other calls on the sheet that i would love to try again in that situation yeah um you know for a number of different reasons just to to give our quarterback a few more options but you know we felt good about the call and I, i'm never going to argue with you know putting the ball in the hands of my opinion the best quarterback in the country and the galardy trophy winner so unfortunately it didn't work out for us you know this time and those are situations that you, you practice, you do and practice, um, you know, so it's, it wasn't new to our guys to be in that, to be in that situation. Every single game is like that. Um, there, whether you win by a lot or, or, or a little, you're, you're always going to look at things and say, Hey, I wish I would have done this, but I think that's part of the learning process. And that's part of the process of, you know, continuing to, you know, improve as, as a coach or a play caller or a player, um, you know, you can never, you can never settle. I was just talking about it with, uh, you know, a recruit and he was asking, you know, in five years, are, are things going to change and be different? I said, well, change is inevitable. Um, and you have to keep adjusting and keep finding, you know, new ways, innovative ways, efficient ways to do things, schemes are going to change. So yeah, you know, things are going to change, you know, the, the hallmark of our program and, uh, the foundation of our, our program with, 
you know, faith, family and academics and, you know, relationships kind of being the building blocks to everything that's not going to change. Mm-hmm. And and that's been consistent here since, you know, John Thorne was our, our head coach. Um, those aren't going to change, but, you know, certainly we hope to, you know, progress, whether that's, you know, adding staff or facilities or you want to continue to move forward and, and press forward. I think that's my job as a head coach is to, uh, continue to find ways to, you know, kind of find those inches at the top of the ceiling, um, to continue to get better and to continue to, to move forward. You know, what's next that was asked, you know, when I took over as head coach, we just played in two national titles and the answer is fairly simple. You want to go back to the national title, you know, how you get there. It's going to be different every single year. Um, as your team changes, your personnel changes, uh, you're yeah. going to have to find, you know, new ways to, to get there. You know, you just, you want that same result of being there. Well, and so, yeah, dovetailing into what's next, right? Um, you guys, you know, you lose, I think probably a, might, might be a normal amount of, uh, of, of seniors. It's of course <laughs> it, in this day and age, it's kind of hard to tell what's normal anymore, but right. you're, you're not like sixth year senior heavy and you're not senior light. It seems like you've got a, a good number of pieces coming back, but where right. are kind of the focus areas you need to improve on? I would just, you know, for example, like I would assume depth in the secondary after losing one of your top guys and then that being a, a sore spot for you guys in the title game. But what are the sort of things you're looking at? You, of course, at our level have, you can never have too much depth, um, you know, especially when you're aiming to play, 15 games, right? As many games yeah. as we've played and, you know, which is a, a great thing. So you've, you've got to be able to play more than just one guy at a position, have per- different personnel groups, get different guys involved in special teams. And, and that keeps more people involved. I think we graduate uh, a number of guys in the secondary for sure. We're, we're going to graduate three. So we've got a find some new new faces there uh we had some young guys kyler green have some reps before getting injured mari roby uh, we have some other guys that have had some playing time um in significant situations so whether it's them or it's somebody that you bring in as a, a recruit or a transfer uh that's going to be a spot you know our linebacker position um should see guys come back um, right. provided yep. they come back for fifth years, uh, the defensive line, we're going to lose guys to, to graduation. So, uh, you know, Martin's back, but we're going to have, we're going to lose, uh, Will Kettlecamp, James Hart, you know, Danny Lester missed most all the, all the season as it is. Would he come back? He doesn't have any more eligibility. He used no, a, he, he used a, he used a, a season this year. Yeah. Cause he played, okay. um, Played in game one, game two, got hurt. Played in game four against Wheaton, and then ended right. up having to have surgery from there. Um, but you know, JP Sullivan's back, and we got a couple of young guys at D line, and um, you know, so primarily you're you're looking at trying to fill some depth at D line and defensive back, uh, and then on offense, um, we'll lose our center Gerard, who's been a you know Remington yep. Award winner, great four year starter for us, captain. Um, we got to replace him and then our right tackle, uh, Zach Fortier. And then of course, uh, D'Angelo and, and, and Joey, um, graduated receiver and, mm-hmm. you know, Joey really, as the playoffs went on, we were, I was talking about this with our quarterback coach, I think last week, 
they became a dynamic duo. Right. Uh, Joey really had a, his production was unbelievable. I mean, he finished second in the country in yards per catch uh, behind the kid from Alma. You know, so and, and those are two guys that brought a lot of energy to that group. You know, our third and fourth guys that played, they'll be back, and we've got some other young guys that have some length and have a lot of speed. It's a matter of just giving getting them up to speed mentally, um, and then the physicality of it is as well. Our, our running backs are back. Uh, Luke's back so right certainly you have to be able to smile when uh, you know Luke Lanon walks into my office this morning and you know he's got another year of eligibility and right <laughs> uh, he started grad school and um, you know he's getting ready for baseball so he's he's got a lot of positive things going on in his life right now well and you're, a, you're you guys as a program you've played 59 games over the course of the past four full seasons mm-hmm. that's a ton of reps for not only the guys on the field but guys in practice right you know you're in a position that until recently was really the territory of folks like Mount Union and Whitewater and basically nobody else right we talk about that a lot and I talk about that a lot with recruits as well um, just the opportunities to continue to play football and improve as a football player. I mean, if, if I'm a recruit, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be coached to be the absolute best player I can be. And, you know, part of that is playing as much football as you can play. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, our freshmen are really halfway through their sophomore year right now. Uh, and, and right. so on and so forth. Um, it's, we've always talked about that even, you know, before we were making stag bowls, uh, the advantage of playing in the playoffs, the extra practice for the guys, uh, the extra camaraderie. Uh, it is a big deal. You know, I think, you know, success breeds success there. And um, you certainly want to keep that going to take advantage of those extra practices. I mean, it's when you can play five extra weeks, it's a half a season. Yeah. Um, you know, shoot, our seniors our fifth year seniors this year, <laughs> they've played so they played like six and a half seasons of football with, you know, <laughs> that COVID spring practices and everything, um, which you got to manage their bodies a bit. Uh, but it's, it's the, yeah, it's, it's been a good thing for us, the fifth years. Um, I think it's been a great thing. I think it's added some parity to college football at all levels. Um, there's obviously other factors happening with that, with transferring and, NIL, et cetera, but being able to have those extra weeks is, is pivotal, uh, and, and taking advantage of them and, and letting the young guys, you know, we will, we'll do some, you know, Thanksgiving, we'll have a, a Turkey bowl with the freshmen and, um, <laughs> you know, let them kind of go at it. And it's always a lot of fun, you know, real physical and, uh, the guys have a blast with it, you know, playing each other, you have a point system. And so you try and do fun things too, to, you know, keep them engaged and, um, keep those young guys, uh, you know, excited about football, even after kind of the freshman JV games have ended. All right, Greg, I know these run a little long, but frankly, I feel like I could expend an entire hour just talking to Brad Spencer or for that matter, just talking to Kurt Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Pat. Over the course of a postseason and then during championship week, we get a chance to talk to the coaches of the teams that are participating in this case this year was Kurt Fitzpatrick and Brad Spencer. We talked to them quite a bit. We found that they are really insightful guys and you really have to put a hard stop on the call or the <laughs> interview because you can keep going with these guys. They, they love to talk ball. You love like, they never give a bad answer to any question that you ask. 
it's tough to take a break because those guys are just so good to talk football with. It's really not hard to see why student athletes are drawn to those programs and the leadership of those two. I will say this too. Uh, this particular stag bowl was one of the most rewarding maybe is the right word uh, to cover because of the graciousness of both coaches, uh, both programs, very eager to, you know, spend whatever time with us was necessary. Brad Spencer willing to give up the last 10 to 15 minutes of one of his practices in Salem so that we could come and tell Luke Lanen in a surprise announcement that uh, he was winning the Gilardi Trophy. Also, the fact, of course, that it was in Salem, which is a very special place for Division Three athletics and Division Three football in particular. It was a really good year and a great stag bowl to cover. And I say that not even talking about the fact that it was a one-point game, right? You were talking about what we root for or don't root for. I think what I root for most is just something interesting. And often, if that's something new, something new is almost always more interesting. We always felt like as long as you don't know who the national champion is at the time the season starts, then I think the season can be interesting. And obviously we had that this year too. We certainly did. And yeah, I think as people who cover the games and cover the the division the way that we do agree, we, we root for interesting stories. We root for good stories and um, not necessarily teams. I want to see in Stagwold, I want to see the best two teams play for a championship. And whether it's the same two teams that played last year or not, fine. But when you do get a new color scheme at the Stag Bowl, for you sure. get a new team that uh, you know kind of kicks open the door, breaks a new ceiling, not just for that program, but for other programs. And we've talked about a little bit what it means for Cortland, what it means to teams that Cortland played, but also, and Keith wrote about this quite a bit, what it means for the East region, what we used to know as the East region. Now it's regions one, two, bits of three what that means for them to sort of be back in the national picture in that kind of way. Uh, really important win, not just for Cortland, but for a lot of division three. And yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun to cover that game that week. The The teams were great. Coaches were great. The game was great. Just really a fantastic stag bowl. Number 50 was one of the best. Perhaps the best conversation that none of us on this podcast is equipped to actually have. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we are at Roanoke College in Salem, Virginia. I'm here along with Greg, and we are joined by Brian Steinspring, brand new head coach of the Maroons of Roanoke College, and Mike Giancola, the even more brand new defensive coordinator of this program. And I think the first thing I wanted to do is say to you guys, to the Roanoke community, welcome to Division Three football. Thank you very much. We're excited to be here. Yeah, tell us a little bit about you know, what attracts you to the job, that sort of thing. This is a big project. I assume somewhere, someone in this building has a project plan that spans out for like the next 26 months or something. Very much so. There's, there's immediate, there's down the road, there's ongoing. Every term that you can possibly use is actually part of our routine right now. So there's a lot going on, but there's an excitement level here. Uh, Roanoke, Salem, Virginia, it's a beautiful place. This campus is beautiful. As you know, the Division Three football championship is, is held here tomorrow night. A week ago, the Division Three men's and women's soccer championship. This is a sports-minded area. Right, right out, out this window. Yeah. Absolutely. So 
This has always been a, a very much a sports-minded area. It's a very supportive area. Uh, I grew up 45 minutes from here uh, in my tenure as a football coach and as a youth. I spent a lot of time in this area, recruited this area for about 30 years now. I'm well aware of the, uh, the quality of coaching and the quality of uh, student athletes that are here and uh, the overall excitement. So just the fact that you have a beautiful campus and a beautiful area that is very supportive uh, was a big draw for myself and, and, and Mike. Talking about the list of things that has to get done, and obviously one of them is hiring a staff, right? So Mike, maybe just ask you, my brain says you were a defensive coordinator before, you're a defensive coordinator now. A coach might look at that and say that's a lateral move. So what attracted you to this program? So all the things the coach just talked about, but you know, looking at it, the unique opportunity to build a program from the ground up was something I didn't think I could turn down. Um, it will obviously come with its challenges, but you know, nothing worth having in life is going to come easy. You know, and so I thought uh, that was a that was a big draw for me. Uh, and you know, this area is one like coach touched on uh, is personal to me in a lot of ways. I graduated from Virginia Tech, which is right down the road. Yep. Uh, I literally did my student teaching half a mile from where we're sitting <laughs> at Andrew Lewis Middle School. And uh, it was one of those that we thought it was something that we had to do. And uh, for me and my family, it was the right move. And we are, we are pumped about it. What's the next step on the plan, right? Obviously, there are more positions to be hired also. But I assume you guys are already out uh, looking for kids for the fall. And... Tell me a little bit about like when a team takes the field and that sort of thing for this program. Really, to me, the next phase for us is uh, to get the next guy hired, and we're in the process of doing that. Right. Uh, so that's going to be important to get our, our coordinator in here on the offensive side. And then we also are recruiting. We're going to entertain approximately 40 student athletes tomorrow. And that's uh, a tribute to Mike and a tribute to Roanoke College. That, uh, in this short amount of time, we're able to get that, that, that many young men here. We're excited about having them here uh, as part of a get to know Roanoke College uh, event, tying in with the Stag Bowl as well. So that, that, that's a great benefit. So there's a multitude of things we're doing. I mean, it's, the things you just you, they keep popping up that you know going in, but getting the uniforms, you have to design them. Then you got to match the numbers with the sizes. That's a process, and uh, we, we, we've actually ordered our, our, our uniforms. They just went out today. The helmets are next door, and we, we just got to uh, finalize the, that part of it. So there's a lot of things like that. I'm in an, an office. This was my office for the first week I was here. Um, then I moved to another temporary office. So it's, 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 it's that part of it, getting, getting our locker room ready, getting our athletic performance center ready. Uh, getting our coaches' offices ready, and all that is, a, is an ongoing party. Every venue that you can think of and what needs to be done is, is, is getting done and getting out and getting around our alumni. We have an event tonight. We have another event tomorrow. We're still pursuing uh, financial support for different venues, different areas that we're uh, still working our way into. So if you name it, we're doing it right now. Have you had conversations with student athletes on campus do you have players on campus or will you be recruiting all players uh, that will start uh, with your developmental team next fall that's a great question and really there's people that have showed up in my office that, that have actually 
went and decided to go to Roanoke, obviously not very far from here, but they went to Roanoke with the idea that Roanoke had announced in July or June that they were going to pursue football. So there are, I'd say, two people that are actually on campus. Three, we will have something here this spring, an open tryout here for people that are here, but there are people that have uh, decided to go to Roanoke before we even hired a football coach with the idea that maybe I will play football. Uh, there will be a few transfers that come in here from from other schools. Sure. Some of them will get here in January. Mm-hmm. But then after that, it's going to be uh, who, who we can bring in from the high school level. So that's going to be the, the vast majority of our football team as, as we start. Moving forward, there obviously, other than a, a, a tryout of some sort, this spring, our next phase will be uh, August camp, and uh, we'll go from there. We do plan to play games in this upcoming fall. It's not a f- full schedule, but we, we, we will play. We will label ourselves as a, as a club team for various reasons, but we do plan to play, and we'll, we'll gauge that as we continue into this recruiting process and, and uh, how, how, how it goes in, in, in August. But we, we will play, and uh, we're looking forward to that. But there's a lot of things that got to take place between now and then. For sure. So not a lot of student athletes necessarily on campus, but some that may have an opportunity to play college football. How would you assess sort of the, the general feel of the campus community about Roanoke football becoming a reality? I think uh, I've gotten out in this community. I walk the campus quite a bit. There's a group that may be here and there, and, and I'll join into the group a little bit. There's a, a real excitement. Uh, Mike and I, I go to the cafeteria. I'm out with the the, the students as much as I can be and there seems to be a, a really good um, ex- there's a there's an excitement level and there's an excitement level across the street downtown Salem is right there you go into a restaurant you go in anywhere you go right now uh, there's just seems about a, a, a tremendous amount of excitement that surrounds this 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 addition of football to Roanoke here and uh, and I, I feed off of that as well I do spend time talking to students or other sports here, and I ask two basic questions. Where are you from? And why well, Roanoke College? And uh, I've, I've gotten well-informed by doing little things like that. It's been real advantageous to get out with our students and find out their why. And uh, that helps us uh, to uh, kind of, when we go recruiting, to establish why not you. I gotcha. We were talking, Greg and I, on the way over here, and I want to ask you, Mike, about this, especially because you've coached Division Three in this area. There are so many Division Three schools around here, right? We're talking about Ferrum, not far. We're talking about Averett, not far. We're talking about WNL. Uh, we're talking about Southern Virginia, although you may not have the same uh, recruiting requirements that they might have at Southern Virginia. And, you know, Bridgewater's not that far up 81 either. Are there enough kids here? in that there that there's room to take out another 40 or steal some of those kids or what's what do you think the recruiting landscape looks like right now for you guys well i think it it does change obviously adding a school into it and uh you know i i just think that the mentality that you take with it uh and the philosophy that you take into recruiting can be a huge advantage uh for your institution whether it's here or whichever other school we're talking about um but at the end of the day you got to recruit better than the other schools and you're recruiting against, you know, and it's yeah. got to be about building great relationships and honesty and transparency in the process. You know, I know coach and I talked about uh, during the interview process, you know, we got to find things we can't coach because those are the things ultimately with the 
you know, acumen of our staff as we put it together and being confident in our ability to coach things like we'll get you coached up on scheme and technique and all that stuff. But if you've ever met me, I'm five foot five on a good day. You can't run around with a bunch of me's right. at the college level and win See, football I th- games. And I thought you were talking about you can't coach character, but yeah, you can't coach height. <laughs> no, and uh, no, those things too. But, you know, understanding it is a two way street and you need to lean into who you are and you got to recruit the right people based off that. And I think that has a lot to do with who you're going to establish yourselves uh, as culturally. Roanoke's got a lot of advantages to it. Coach mentioned it is a sports centric community. It is one where they love love athletics and they love football and that's huge and the institutional support that we get and we're going to continue to get and you know it's going to put us at a, I think a pretty distinct advantage in some ways and we're really excited to show the recruits that we're going to bring to campus tomorrow and the recruits that we're going to continue to bring uh, on campus through the process all that Roanoke has to show them. Well, Mike talks about five five as a number, and we, we we have to be careful about. Five, it depends five. on the shoes that I'm wearing. Yes, listed <laughs> listed at five five. Oh, for sure. Just piggybacking off of his five five, and we can't have too many guys like my five five. And that's not a forty yard dash; that's about a thirty yard dash. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we got to be careful about that. Part of what makes Roanoke, when you look at this campus and you look across the street, just this is like a college town. In this, you got a beautiful, concise. Uh, a campus that opens up directly into downtown Salem, which expands into downtown Roanoke. And that's a, that's a tremendous asset for us as a recruiters. And there's an airport. If you want to get home, you want to get here, there, you know, there's, a, there's an airport that's about five miles from here. There's a lot of advantages here. And as Mike alluded to also, I've been very blessed in this profession. But never once in my profession do I have to do something for the first time. Get the opportunity to do something, to put a stamp on this is Roanoke College football. This is who we are. This is what we're going to be in 10 years, 15, 20, whatever I'm doing. I drive down 81. I'm going to pull through here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take great pride of that I was a part of this. And that means a lot. It means a lot to him. It means a lot to me means a lot of these people in this building and a lot of our, and our alumni. So it's a special opportunity. I think it's uh, you know easy to see why, why Mike is your first uh, staff hire. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the ODAC from Bridgewater. He knows what it takes to win an ODAC championship. Uh, what have you been learning about the ODAC from Mike in the last couple of weeks? Just the inner workings a, a little bit. And, uh, uh, how long's this show? I mean, I've learned a lot from Mike in a while. That's uh, that's a big part of why it's here. It, it's just a it's just a daily operations of it too. What's the best way? What does an official visit look like at this here? Uh, it's it's a lot of great information that he has that I'm not completely aware of. His hiring was well thought out, not just by me but by others. And there's, there's a lot of reasons, as I said earlier, not just from him as a coach, but. Just a multitude of things we talk about. Like I said, what does an official visit look like? What does this look like? How is it done here? How is it done there? How is it done in Division Three in general, right? And then then, uh, the competition level in terms of recruiting. We know our strengths, but what are the other schools that we may be recruiting against? There's a lot of information that he has banked, and we're we're going to draw from that. Yeah. And Mike, you know, as another, you asked it or you brought it up, but. Um, Mike, conceptually from a defense, I, I was uh, at Virginia Tech for 25 years and I was around the best defensive coordinator in Bud Foster that's uh, Walter Sideline. And uh, his defense is, uh, that, we, that we will incorporate here a little bit is going to be very similar to that. And uh, it's 
part of the foundation of what we do, and that was important to us as well. And we went through this process and took what do we need, what is it going to take, and we reached out to a lot of schools, Christopher Newport, just a lot of school, schools that you alluded to earlier. Do you know, I can tell you, there's been 23 Division three schools that started up football since 2012. Yeah. Uh, and I've reached very, some great people out there that are very open and honest and, uh, about how they did it, what it has meant. We took that information and profiled it into a, a, our own study and took a great look at it and felt like this was, absolute, this was an absolute right thing to do and we went with it. All right, so this was a fun interview and kind of an interesting juxtaposition, not just on this podcast, but while we were in Salem to take time from our Stag Bowl prep to go talk to a team that's taking their very first steps as a program against the backdrop of the national championship. Roanoke, they're quite literally designing and finalizing the look of their helmets. They didn't have helmets yet, Pat. And down the street from where the top two teams in the division were getting ready to play for this title, you've got a team that's you know on day zero, and they're seeing these teams down the street that are at the pinnacle of Division Three, and that was interesting to have that juxtaposition that week. And so now, you know, Roanoke, they have this opportunity to build their program in a place that has been synonymous with the pinnacle of Division Three football, and they're going to be playing their games, at least for a little while, in Salem Stadium at the place where national champions have been crowned 26 times. Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see how this program develops. And of course, there are other Division three football programs in the pipeline, right? Eastern University just started this past season and they had a pretty successful year, all things considered. Centenary down in Louisiana played a JV schedule this year and had quite a bit of success, it sounds like. So we look forward to seeing them take their first varsity snaps in 80 years or something along those lines coming up this fall. Allegedly, Shriner is still adding a football program, although we haven't heard much about that lately. Maine Maritime is bringing football back after a short hiatus, which will be fun as well. Don't want to forget Calvin, which is bringing the uh, Hope-Calvin rivalry into football, and they will be playing developmental games this fall and varsity games in 2025. That's still the last information that I have in front of me. So Division Three football continues to grow and yet, of course, higher education continues to shrink. So we'll see how that goes as time moves on. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. All right, we threw out this signal for the mailbag on a Monday morning in January, MLK Day, in fact. And we got... A response from David Soliday at NCC Class of 88, NCC, North Central College, last year's national runner-up. This post, I'm not sure it's a question, but this post is thinking about northern climate, outdoor stadiums, and a potential January stag bowl, and then two freezing face emoji. After watching KC Miami and Buffalo Pittsburgh being delayed, those are NFL playoff games, uh, Stag Bowl site selection conversation changes a bit. Canton in January, dot, dot, dot. Risky, exclamation point, exclamation point. Hashtag D3FB. So I don't argue with you there, uh, David. And I know that, you know, you go back about a year plus ago and the sites that had already been chosen to host the next couple of upcoming Stag Bowls were also asked to hold a January date 
as well. Obviously, this is three weeks later in the calendar. Most years, it's going to be three weeks later in the calendar. Maybe some years it might be two weeks. We don't even know these details yet. Canton's going to be cold. And obviously, this year kind of skews numbers on a lot of those things. Uh, Canton was cold when we were there in the third week of December a couple of years ago as well. It is. I think, you know, the timing of this question against this weekend of really extreme weather across much of the country yeah. is interesting. I mean, this kind of extreme weather is an outlier. Not, not to say that you can't count on it being cold and probably maybe a little windy in Canton in early January, but whiteout blizzard conditions, not always a thing you can count on. You can't not count on it, but... um you know what the alternative is to do what go and play games in places that don't have division three football in areas that might not be interested in having a division three football championship game or trying to play in domed stadiums where you have a big empty stadium for a championship game. That's not ideal either. So you run the risk of weather, no matter what you do, you know, we did the two stag bowls in Shenandoah. The weather was not great not unplayable but you know some of what the the hope was when when the game went down to Shenandoah is that oh the conditions would be great it's down in Texas and you know it'll be nice warm ish or at least mild weather and what we got is a, a game that was very Salem-esque in terms of cold and wind in 2018 and then we got a, a cold and rainy game in 2019 even when you go to a place where you think the weather is going to be good you're not always going to get good weather yeah, I think you can only count on mid-Florida to South Florida and Southern California this time of year. I just looked up, just for my own edification, the average high and low temperatures in Canton, Ohio. And so for about the time where the Stag Bowl exists now, that third week of December, the average high is about 38 and the average low is about 26 degrees Fahrenheit. If you then move that forward three weeks and look at the first week of January, the average high is 36 and the average low is 24. This is a grand total of two degrees difference. It was my understanding that there would be no math. I would say this one other thing that might work in this game's favor is that, you know, currently it's on a Friday night. And I think we, we at least on the podcast, generally agree that's a good time because the only other time that ESPN is willing to offer us is 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. And that's not how we want to play our national championship. But is a game on the first Saturday in January going to be an afternoon game possibility? Or we even are we looking at a primetime game on a Thursday night? We don't, again, have these details. We don't know exactly what dates have been asked. And, of course, some of those things will float from year to year depending on where New Year's Day, New Year's Eve fall as well. But there's a possibility that it might be an afternoon game at some point. I just want to add to the conversation about where the NCAA decides to put a championship game. NCAA doesn't decree where the Division Three championship game is going to be. So NCAA can't roll in and say, guess what, Orlando, you're going to host our game. There's got to be a city that wants to do it, a venue that wants to host, an organizing committee that puts in a bid. The game goes where people want it to be. One of the interesting ideas that I'd like to see at least looked at is hosting it at the UNI Dome, Northern Iowa's Dome Stadium, which seats 16,000 or so for football. Now, I don't know that Cedar Falls, Iowa is any easier to get to 
in December than Salem, Virginia is, right? At least in Salem, you have an airport that serves some major air, some major national airports fly direct to Roanoke. To get to Cedar Falls, it's a bit of a different conversation, but that is an indoor place. It is in Division Three football territory. The ARC has certainly hosted other national championships at the Division Three level, uh, most notably baseball for the last four years. Wrestling has been there a number of times. It's a wrestling hotbed. Aside from that, taking out like Indianapolis, unreasonable. Stadium's too big. Syracuse, stadium's too big. You know, there's just not a lot of dome stadiums. You might be talking about Fargo, North Dakota, and then that is way out on the edge even further of Division Three. I would be interested to see if this continues over the course of a decade or so, and if the weather is bad, do they start entertaining or soliciting bids from Florida again? But it left Florida for good reason more than 30 years ago, and I don't see it going back there immediately. Maybe we can entice a bid from the Skyac. You know, that would be some Division Three activity in a place where weather's not bad. I would have to do some research about what kinds of stadiums are around that would be suitable. I doubt that we would play a Division Three national championship game in SoFi Stadium or the Rose Bowl. There may be options. All right. As you're driving around on the 405, you let us know what you find. David, thanks for the note. People can send us posts on X at any time. Use that D3FB hashtag. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 351, released on January 18th, 2024. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage all offseason. We are very thankful for the support of those monthly Patreon subscribers, and you can join them or learn more about it by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports. And if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, a fellow alumnus about the show. Give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. That still helps other people find the show. That is a thing that is true. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on X using the D3FB hashtag. I post from at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. This is still here in the rundown, and I think we still have a message board at the moment. You can join the conversation on d3boards.com. Hopefully sometime in the next couple weeks it will be back up and running. You can also follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. It's written by Patrick Coleman and Greg Thomas. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. Our theme music, once and again, is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well, and you can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to our guests who joined us for this edition, Kurt Fitzpatrick, Brad Spencer, Brian Steinspring, Mike Giancola, and to my co-host, Greg Thomas. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Always good to get up on a Monday morning and record around the nation. It's a good thing this is not the type of podcast that is uh, centered around drinking an adult beverage or something like that, even on a... uh, even on what I assume is a holiday for you as it is for me, maybe drinking at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning is not the most important thing to do. I did start this morning. I don't know if you saw, Pat, uh, occasionally with a little espresso this morning. There you go. Mine is, as always, a significantly large amount of a caffeinated, carbonated, sugar-free beverage. 
while we were doing this, we got more and more requests to be posted on the Open Dates Board from coaches in the President's Athletic Conference for 2025 and 2026. So I know we knew this from about a year ago when I think Carnegie Mellon was the first one to uh, post its dates for those years, but it is definitely happening. They are dropping out of that completely insular, closed conference schedule. Maybe the way this last round of tournament selection played out helped solidify that maybe maybe not playing outside of your conference is not the best of ideas. What's worse, playing only your own conference or playing some members of your conference twice or like the SCAC will this upcoming fall play everybody in the conference twice? You're playing everybody twice plus some non-conference games. That is true. You At least you're still playing somebody else. Mm. Oh, that's tricky. I think probably, I think probably single round Robin only with it with conference members is probably a less good idea. I think getting outside of conference play helps. If you're looking for a good non-conference opponent to put on your schedule for this season, folks, St. John's is offering a guarantee for someone to come up to Collegeville, Minnesota in week one for 2024. You get points on the on the stream revenue? I don't know if you get a share of the stream revenue. That would be awesome. Someone should negotiate that. Put that in your contract writer, people who want to play up at St. John's. Also looking forward to Aurora North Central this year. That's going to be a uh, much better non-conference game to pay attention to. I think so. Aurora is going to get North Central after, you know, nine months of chewing on, on losing. Um, <laughs> the, well, they're both chewing on losing, but yeah. We've got some, some, maybe some quarterback questions at Aurora. We'll see who opens the season there. I know we're getting way ahead now, right? I have a feeling I know who's going to open at quarterback for North Central. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. 